Abolitionists for Everybody is a podcast that tackles the sometimes difficult conversations around prison abolition. I'm Crystal. And I'm Graham. This season is about the media's involvement in carceral or abolitionist thinking. How it uses narratives to impact, radicalize, and shift culture. Just a reminder, friends, though the title of this episode may give you some warning, remember that harm itself tends to create situations of alternate harms. There will likely be other painful topics part of too. Take care of you. Today we are joined by Ra, who you all know from seasons one and two. I am really, really excited to have her today. And I know we have a lot to talk about today, so let's just get into it. Ra, can we begin um, with you telling us a little bit more about what media literacy actually means? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, uh my name is Ra, she, her pronouns, and I'm formerly incarcerated. Not relevant for media literacy, but it'll probably come up at some other points. Um, media literacy is our ability to access, analyze, evaluate, and create media. So really similar to regular literacy, like when you learn how to read, understand, interpret, and make words, you're literate. So it's a very similar dynamic. And um I think what we're talking about today, if I understand correctly, is how to apply that media literacy to to like the world, to actively apply it. Because I do think most of us are pretty media literate. It's an aspect of being storytelling creatures, like humans. Yep, applying applying media literacy to know how we are constantly consuming that propaganda and how we are, you know, the stories and the narratives from our communities are being shifted. So. I'm really excited for this episode because I think it'll really set us up with what we need to know to continue like listening to the rest of the season and just in our everyday lives. Um, so the the nerd inside of me is so excited to have you, Ross, so we can continue to talk about this and learn from you. Yeah, I, I think we're probably going to end up using a lot of words people don't know. I think the first is the first we've, we've already dropped is propaganda. Um, propaganda is a combination word. It's cop and propaganda. And uh, propaganda means any type of media that we recognize as something that's trying to like make us feel away. The fun thing about that word is that kind of everything is propaganda. Um, everything is created. And that's like one of the first rules of media literacy, that everything is created and everything is creative, um, which is what I meant when I said that we already practice media literacy all the time in our lives. Like if two little kids run up to you and say, this is what happens, you're using literacy, media literacy, to understand their narratives, their stories, how they're telling it, to decide which is the most true. You're accessing that story, you're analyzing it, you're evaluating it, you're even creating a third storyline, right? That anytime you make something creative, an audience plays a part of it. Um, the artist is just step one, the audience is step two. So when those two little kids are like, and then this person did that, and then that happened, you make a third story that makes sense based on your life experiences, what you understand to be true, and yeah, most people are pretty media literate. The issue is where we choose to apply it. Um, as soon as it comes from a news site with a fancy logo on the corner, we kind of turn off that part of our brain. Or even like, you know, sometimes we go into things with biases. Um, oh no, that's another word. Um, let's see. A bias is a disproportionate weight in favor or against a thing. 
usually when we say it, we mean it in a not great way. We usually mean something like that it's unfair or closed-minded, prejudiced, or limited in some way. So like bunnies are fluffy isn't a bias. It's not necessarily always true, but it's not a bias. But bunnies are fluffy, so they're the most adorable animal on earth and should definitely be a pet. That's a bias. And a not true one as someone who has owned a bunny. So um, I think there is those types of things to factor in. But yeah, I am also excited to, to get into this. Um, copaganda is definitely something that affects us most when we're talking about abolition or most vividly. But there are lots of different types of things that sneak into media that do, in fact, change the way um, we even are able to think about the future. That's interesting. So I was thinking on what you said and in reference to the biases that we have, that we establish, those oftentimes come from different forms of eye exposure, media exposure as we're growing up, correct? Definitely. Um, And community. I mean, when you start, like maybe the first step of media literacy is realizing that almost anything we consume is is media, right? The stories our parents tell us, um, the fairy tales we grew up with, uh, not just news, not just TikTok, um, not just fictional TV shows, but all of those things combined. And that kind of like the story that people are telling us about the world, as opposed to the story we're telling ourselves about the world, all of that is media. So yeah, that definitely informs your media literacy at a very, very young age. So how can we, um, what are the different things that we can do to get to what story is being told? and making sure that we're not consuming either false information or information that is meant to scare us or put, you know, certain groups of people or certain communities in a bad light. Because when we talk about media literacy and the media and propaganda, a lot of the times it's meant to scare us. A lot of the times it's, it's meant to kind of put cops in a good light and make them the heroes. So what are the different things that we can look out for? Uh, not not to completely like get rid of it because it's everywhere, but like to make, to be more aware that that's what we're consuming and like what other things can we think of um, to make sure that we don't buy into those stories? I know a lot, a lot of questions in one. <laughs> no, it's okay. I think um, There are some like basic rules of how media works. Like I said already that all media is created and creative. And I think it's really helpful to think of media as a creative platform. So even when you're seeing something that says CNN or Fox News, like you were watching a creative reenactment of what happened in the world. And just like anything that's creative, there are like rules. There are rules and there are um, creative languages. So for instance, like when I say creative rules and languages, um, I'm a poet, right? So their poetry is, is a very flexible art form, right? Some people write in prose form, some people rhyme, but there are general shapes that poems take. And there are some historical styles that people will often mimic. And that happens in theater, plays, and very often in news, right? And it's a lot of different things. It's the way the camera angle swoops in. It's what they're taking photos of. It is little taglines like, if it bleeds, it leads, meaning that violence and things are gonna catch your eye first. So that should be at the forefront of what they're selling on their TV. Um, So yeah, we're experiencing a play essentially. And along with that creative energy is like I said, the audience, right? Like everybody, experiences creativity differently. And that's super important to know because 
one thing we think of when we're watching the news and stuff is like, oh, it's so objective. Like I'm watching the same news that Crystal is watching and that Graham is watching. And the reality is we're not. Uh, we all come from our own experiences. We're different ages. Um, we have different media literacies that we're bringing to it, different biases that we're bringing to it. And um, it will resonate or stick with us in different ways, just like any art. And then like, along with creative, it, like that concept, it goes with like, who's making the art? right? Who's creating it? What are their, what's their point of view? Which like, if you're in an art class, that's the first thing you learn, right? What, what point of view is this artist coming from? I think one of like the more pop culture stories is how like sad Van Gogh was. And I said his name wrong. Sorry. I'm very American, <laughs> but he's painting all these beautiful flowers and he's just recognized around this world for this vibrant, bright flowers and endless stars. And this was a man racked with depression um, so the point of view is really important when you're looking at it objectively or as objectively as possible, or even analyzing it, you know, what, what was he reaching for with this? So point of view and values really important. What are they reaching for? What are they trying to tell you by doing this? Probably the, maybe the most important in terms of this is the economic impact. That's what you were talking about. Crystal is that unlike normal art forms, news agencies and things, anything that's on our TV, which is a very expensive medium has an economic impact, like money is involved, power is involved inherently. We live in a capitalistic framework and those things are, are deeply embedded. And don't get me wrong, poetry and things like that are also impacted by power and profit and whatnot. Um, you know, and you see those in different forms, like Instagram became popular, so poetry got shorter. And so we have to make it legible on this platform. And news does that all the time. So yeah, the economic impact is the area I think we need to look at most objectively, but all of those other things are things that need some serious focus in order to be able to view things and kind of weed it out. That's deep. I I was uh <clears throat> I spent a lot of time looking at different ways that the media affects and impacts my thinking and has impacted my thinking and I've never really looked at it in comparison to different forms of art. I have looked at it like a play very much, but I've never really, the way that you described that was very applicable to me. So I thank you for that. I, uh, the, I guess the question that I have is, so if we're looking at economic impact and we're looking at the way, let's say a medium like TikTok, which is also media uh, monetized people who post and have a lot of followers and Instagram does this too, uh, influencers. So if they monetize that, how does that inform us as we're watching that in terms of like the stories that people are putting out on tiktok the different uh they have like prison tiktok they have abolition tiktok they have all these different uh platforms like how how are we using that that is a really good question i think it's it's a fun and kind of stressful phenomenon to live through is is realizing that a new media has entered entered the room <laughs> and so now we're learning how to interpret that as well but ultimately, everything comes back to those basic rules. You know, it's it's one people are people are motivated just by creativity. Creativity alone is a motivator. So, wanting to be part of those plays, wanting to write those words that that makes sense, right? That's something that humans are called to. We want to tell stories. We want to explain stories. Where it starts getting wonky is those points of views. You know, like objectivity and neutrality are different things, and that comes into play a lot with TikTok. I think because people are very honestly reporting from their point of view about things that maybe they're experiencing or seeing, but that doesn't make it a neutral statement, especially not when you're platforms, you know, and, and, and by platform, I mean, you have an audience of a, of a large amount of people and 
TikTok is an interesting experience as well as like all the other social media platforms because those platforms aren't guided by any types of rules. And, and, and I'm not entirely sure if even the people speaking necessarily understand that they have a platform and what that's doing. So it, it takes a while for people to realize that they've kind of social media has inured us to the numbers. So we think to ourselves, I'm only talking to 5,000 people. But if you had a radio show that reached 5,000 people, you would be subject to, to laws and rules uh, regulating that. And I'm not generally a big fan of like rules and regulations and laws. They tend to be carceral if you go deep enough. They tend to be racist if you go deeper. But I, I do think like there's something to be said about just the double check, um, acknowledging that, that you have this large audience and they aren't perceiving your art the same way. Um, you may not be understanding the fullest story. So in our case, like what we would do, what I do is, especially if I like something, especially if I find myself enjoying a form of media or a TikTok or a, a news episode, I tell my brain just for a second to treat it like I was skeptical, like I didn't like it. And immediately those media literacy tools kind of click in. I, I think the best example is that like, I love sci-fi fantasy. I'm, I'm a geek in that way. So I will suspend all levels of disbelief, right? It's like the TV show starts and a toddler comes out and lifts an elephant over his head. And I'm like, yep, got it. Super strong toddlers, you know, no questions asked, but um, I'm not a true crime person. I'm not a, a police show person. So the second it happens, I'm just like, she doesn't look like a cop. How come her key only has one key? Like, I'm skeptical of every little detail. Like, why did they show us her keys? Why did they show us her cat? That now, okay, we know she's an animal lover, right? So I'm very skeptical of those types of things. And I think uh, I turn that part of my brain on when I'm really enjoying something so that I can be just as skeptical. Like, why are they showing us this is the question you always have to keep asking. What are they trying to make me feel? And what does me feeling this way do for their ability to, to keep making this art? I know that for our TikTok at Initiate Justice, we spend a lot of time thinking about the language that we use and the visuals that we use and even time on like the song that we put in the background because we don't want to add to the stereotypes and images and stories and, you know, narratives that a lot of people have about currently incarcerated or formerly incarcerated people. Um, going back a little bit to what you were saying when you talked about the visuals, even like the visuals, they really think about what that visual wants to be. Um, in episode one, I talk about how when my brother was incarcerated, there was um, video of him and other people being arrested, you know, and I, 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 I can visualize what he was wearing and I can visualize where his handcuffs, handcuffed hands are. And now I'm, I'm thinking about why they might have chosen that specific image. Um, that That's not something I thought about at the time. And it just clicked just now, like why they might have picked that video of my brother and other people being arrested. And it just goes back to what you were saying about wanting to like cause fear because it was like a lot of brown men <laughs> and a couple of brown women. And they were throwing words out there like, uh, criminals and some of some of these are felons and we seized x amount of things and uh, our communities are going to be safer now so they're they're creating that narrative and making those associations for us and it definitely worked because since then I've met a lot of people who have talked about what happened and all those people that they arrested and it's a good thing they're in prison now da -da 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 -da. and then when I say oh 
my brother was one of them. And you know my family, you know my brother, you know my community, you're from this community. They go silent because they bought into what the story that they were trying to sell with those images and those headlines. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry that that happened, that you had to see things like that. It's always difficult when things we've experienced and things we're experiencing are retold into like a creative art form. There's like a particular cruelty to that that I don't think people really know until they go through it themselves. Um, So that sucks and I'm sorry. But I do think, you know, like the emotional aspects that they're trying to reach and try to get to is like the safety elements. You know, it's not always trying to inspire fear, but sometimes trying to like reiterate a good emotion to make you continue to come back to this source, you know? And um, the idea of safety is very compelling. And my personal opinion is that it's as compelling as it is in this country because we don't have a very good grip on how to create safety, right? We think of safety and we add harm and that's how we address it. So like very few of us get to like experience safety. And so, and I had similar experiences when I was incarcerated. My, um, I think we've like personally chatted about this where um, the picture they use for me is it's a podcast. So I'm brown. Um, my father is from India. My mother is from Mexico. And um, the pictures they use of me are in like full head coverings, which you only, I only ever do to go to my father's temple. So there are maybe two or three pictures of that in existence versus the thousands of me with, you know, my hair all over the place. So the picture was chosen very deliberately and like, based on where I am, why are you choosing this photo? What stereotype are you relying on? What story are you trying to tell? And I think for anyone our age in the US, like we know what story that is. You're trying to conflate my Indianness with with not just another genre of people, but a specific radical genre of that people's group and tie those things back together because there's a lot of fear there, you know? And I'm not a person who necessarily yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a group of strong men hanging out outside. You know, I don't look like a person to inspire fear. So if you want to sell that story, you have to get even more creative, you know, and, and that's how they chose to do that. And you said that they chose like your full name, right? And they do that all of the time. They're so good at what they do. They do that all of the time. They put like all of the nicknames and they even include like the tattoos some people may have. Um, I, I remember you saying that and Oh, it's so frustrating how how good they are, how creative they are. <laughs> and to be fair, we do very similar things. You know, um, everybody when telling their story does the things that they need to do to convey the most creative point. Like um, when I'm telling stories about people I met in prison, I'm not leading with what they did. I'm not leading with the worst moment of their life. I'm not leading with their government name. I'm 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 telling you maybe the softest introduction to that person that you can know. I, I say, I met a girl there. She just turned 18 and her hair was tangled. So she sat on my bed and like, that's your introduction to this person now. And it, it's it's on purpose, right? We do these things on purpose so that we can shape these things. The difference is I'm not on CNN. <laughs> I'm not 20% or whatever number of epi- episode sitcom type things are about cops and how great they are. Um, I don't have that level of an audience and and the economic implications for me are almost null, you know, they almost don't exist at all. I mean, I'm a formerly incarcerated person talking about my experiences is like reverse economic <laughs> impact. It's it's actively dangerous. It makes you less likely to make an income. And I, I see Graham nodding over there. So it seems we have, I think we all have mirrored experiences in that. No, I fully agree. And I'm thinking of when I first came home, I made a conscious decision. This was before I was involved in things that I'm involved with now in terms of, you know, movement work, et cetera. I, I 
I made a conscious decision that I'm not going to speak to people from a place of shame for what I've done. Uh, I hold myself accountable and I've done the work that I need to do to not make those choices again, but I'm not going to. And there was a, a notable effect on the people because I was working in very uh, labor intensive spaces and, you know, one thing, one thing came up missing in the store that I was working in and everybody stared at me for the rest of the day until the item was found. Uh, and I wasn't even in prison for stealing, but it was just because of the stigma. I'm thinking also in what you said, like we do it too. Like when we post, when we post stuff on any of the stuff that we have just personal um, accounts for, like Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. I'm thinking selectively about the pictures that I choose very selectively about the words that I choose in the attached post. And so that's one person thinking of the impact it's going to have on his family and friends and how he wants to influence them to thumbs up or heart something. Just think when you have a room full of people, it is, they are really good at their jobs. Like Crystal said, they're really good at what they do. And uh, the fear sets in for me. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like the fear sets in for me on this massive conspiracy to influence the minds of all these people. But really it's a room of people that are doing their job. Their job is to sell you something. And they're selling it to you. And oftentimes that's fear and uh, reconfirm prejudice and biases, but like they are really good at their jobs. They are. And, and to your point, there's um, a whole room full. There's a lot of them. And, and that's where it starts to get really slanted against anyone who's had any type of marginalized experience because this room full of people, like there's just more money. There's more money in that. You know, if every nonprofit working in the decarceral space in the state of California had two people in a room, we wouldn't have as many people as the LAPD has to do that same job, you know? So um, we're just, we're dramatically outnumbered in that sense. And I think that can be disheartening. So I don't want to like land the thought there. I think one of the important things to remember is that like people are always looking for the better story, the more interesting story, the more whole story. So even if you accept something as marginally true, like Crystal's experience with people like accepting like that dissonance, that silence you get, Crystal, when you when you point out your family, that's them adding nuance to this story because it does it does make sense. It does ring true. They do know their neighborhood. They do know you, and it takes a story that they believe twenty percent, kind of shakes it up. You know, I think that's kind of the job we're working towards. We're never going to be louder, or not in a long time, but we can be disruptive, and we can be actively disruptive. And I think that's why stories are so important. Our stories are so important. And us being pretty loud about the media literacy that we experience so that people can start borrowing that too, because not everyone has these lenses. So sharing those lenses can be like, you know, you take a topic and you put our lens to it and it's going to be a different thing than the average standard American. I like that. And the, the, my my follow-up question to that is what are some like immediate steps that we can do in terms of being more disruptive in terms of that. And I think contrasting is a powerful start. I'm thinking of uh, like something that's very popular right now, like Dahmer that's taking place. And I've seen so many posts, like I find it really interesting that people who probably maybe never have thought about Jeffrey Dahmer in their life, uh, watch a 10 episode, nine episode series and have all sorts of things to say on social media platforms about it. But like the contrasting that I've observed on TikTok, on Insta, uh, in terms of like uh, different media representation uh, in reference to Dahmer, who was a white man and uh, situations that have occurred in uh, communities of people of color prior to, like, I think that those are powerful contrasts. What's some other things that we can do to be more uh, vocally disruptive? Yeah, I think Dahmer is a great example because you get to see a lot of the media impact on all sides. Like why this show, why now, you know, after a uprising that has kind of turned 
turned America's head on what we think of policing and what we think of the need for policing? Why is it that suddenly now we want to tell these stories of, 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 of characters that push the boundaries of what we can forgive easily, you know? Um, so I think the timeline there tells itself, like we know, we know why now, right? We're trying to, we're trying to rehash, we're trying to shine up the cop image as much as possible. And we're seeing that in all, all our TV right now, as much as, as commonly as possible. Um, but then why tell the story in that way? You know, one thing that caught me about the Dahmer story is there's a, there's a human, very human conflict happening on TikTok and Insta right now where uh, white women are, normally white women, are going really hard for Dahmer and um, kind of suddenly spontaneously being abolitionist in this one case. <laughs> and obviously people of color feel a way about that because this is a person who killed people of color. And in their commentaries, in the white women commentaries, it's often come things like it wasn't grisly enough, it wasn't gruesome enough. And lots of media literacy questions come to mind. Like for one, why are we so used to seeing black bodies in, in grisly form, you know, how many times have you seen a, a dark skinned body, you know, wounded, dismembered, all, all these terrible things. And again, I, I look Indian, I, I am mixed, but I look Indian. And I think for most of my life, whenever I see that on the media, it's in the representation of someone who's enslaved, subjugated in some other way, or suffering, you know, impoverished and things like that. And that is not my experience of of my skin color but it is the experience that i have through media and and so it is probably people who have ne maybe never met an indian person it's their only experience and their tolerance level for what they're willing to accept under that framework is is too high like media has stretched it too much but even beyond that is like why was the show frameworked in a way where sympathy could be found where sympathy could be dug up like what was the purpose of that conflict like who's who really started it you know <laughs> there's so many different ways to look into these things and i think one is just participating in these conversations i know it can be uncomfortable and again we think very much about our platforms but when you see a friend posting something about i'm glad they're in prison or or i'm glad they're not in prison like these are these are good moments to investigate like where these feelings are coming from, you know, what type of, what type of this literacy are they picking up as, as, as law, as, as what they believe to be true about the world. So yeah, just participating, listening to the conversations is also really helpful because it lets you know where you need to disrupt. You know, for me, I've seen an alarming rise in thank goodness for cops media, you know? So my instinct now is to push back as much as possible. And I think one of the things that I said about media literacy, when I defined it is like the ability to create and that's super important because like, we can make this too. We can write op-eds, we can write press releases, we can actively do things to, to disrupt. And if we're not creating media, then we aren't as literate as we could be. I know around the same time that this whole Jeffrey Dahmer show is coming out, we are also seeing um, trailers of a movie coming out on Gabby Petito. Um, and if you don't know, Gabby is was a uh, woman who went on a road trip with her partner and she didn't come back and people were looking for her for a while and it turns out that he um, killed her and there is a lot of people who were angry saying that it's too soon to to tell that story that we don't actually know what happened on the trip yeah just angry like why are we telling the story of Gabby when this just happened um, so it's really interesting to see the contrast uh, between, you know, what you were saying with Jeffrey Dahmer and with certain victims. Um, and 
my question for your gram, if you had any thoughts, is one thing that stood out to me is that you said that even the timing of when the, the show was released is very telling. And for me, I I watched the show, I admit, I watched the show with my mom. Um, and for me, it made the police look very bad. Like even my mom's like, oh, these cops are, are never good for anything. Um, you know, um, to me, they didn't, it didn't make them look like heroes that didn't make them look good. Um, so do you think fraud that that's just because of my lens, because I'm a woman of color? Um, it made them look present. And that's, that's what's important. Um, because it, it isn't really that they, humans are very forgiving of like good job, bad job, that type of stuff where we're not forgiving is like this, this story that disruptors people like us have been telling people with data for a long time is we give these, we give this organization millions, billions of dollars nationwide. And where are they? Where are they in anything? And just being present, just reminding you that you live in a world with police is something that's really compelling because at several points through it, and I didn't watch it, but just the way these things go, um, there's usually moments where where you feel like the police should be doing this. The police should be you're you're problem solving with the answer of police, and and that's very powerful because you know you you're you're telling yourself your audience interpretation of that is that the police should have been there to do this. They didn't do a good job, sure, but they were the solution. You see it similarly in like I, again I mentioned I like sci-fi and fantasy, the worlds where there are no police, you know, and there's total chaos. And it's like, this is a show without any police. And somehow it's telling a stronger narrative about policing than one where they're happy and joyful and, and chatting. Yeah. What's sticking out to me is there's a, a specific scene uh, where one of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims was a 14 year old boy. I'm watching the show right now. I'm on episode five and I, I find myself like having an internal conflict because I, I have the what I stand for and what I believe in uh, as a worldview. And I also, uh, I mean, it's obviously reprehensible, it, it, terrible things happen. And also the backstory of Jeffrey Dahmer as someone who's experienced trauma, someone who's experienced neglect, like, like I feel compassion for the things that he went through and also can't seem to balance the scale in terms of like what, like it, none of it justifies, obviously. Anyways, there's a specific scene where there's a 14-year-old boy who was a victim who had escaped Jeffrey Dahmer's house and is sitting on the porch. And the voices that are most amplified in that moment and also blunted by police, which I'll get to, are, is the community. Like the community is circled around the boy. He's sitting on the stoop. Jeffrey Dahmer comes home. The cops are there. Jeffrey Dahmer somehow convinces uh, the cops said this is his boyfriend and he's taking him back in the house and the cops let him take him back in the house then they play a recording or a simulation of a recording of one of the neighbors who is calling the police to verify is did anything happen with this case because that i think that was a young boy it was a 14 year old boy he looked young and the cops are like no he's not he was his boyfriend he was 19 da, da, da. Did, had done no back search so i think like i guess my point in saying that is like there's a narrative that can be amplified in terms of community because the community felt like they had no power in the situation because of the involvement of the police, right? So the storyline is that the police have the ultimate power, but if the community had been mobilized in a way that we speak of often in, in abolitionist circles, like if they had been mobilized and felt in power and had their voices given back, like that situation could have been mitigated. That situation may never have taken place. Um, so 
I don't know if there was a question there, but I did, I did, that was a reflection based off of what y'all were saying in terms of Dahmer. And that's something that we talked about in episode one, where we always take the police as being the experts and always take their perspective and point of view, but we never asked the community. And as you were talking, Graham, one thing that, that I've, that I've seen a lot on TikTok as well is people, um, people comparing what was on the show with what actually happened and it just how 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 far from reality that show is um it's obviously like there's a lot of drama in it sensationalized everybody uh is rooting for for the woman uh who was the neighbor and turns out she was in an immediate neighbor of him um she's lived in the building or something like that um so as, as you were talking and as I was talking, I was looking at, at Ross' face and her face was a little bit like, oh, they got you all. Even if it's a little bit, the show got you all. Um, and I really appreciate us having this conversation and you pointing that out, Raw, because as I think about the show or as, you know, new shows come up or maybe our listeners are watching it now, um, they can keep this conversation in mind and everything that you're saying as they as they watch that show themselves or any other show that may come up. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess they got all of us. I mean, we've been talking about this for 15 minutes or something now. Um, I do think it's easier when you have a specific example. So maybe that's why we got stuck. But there's a little bit of just the dark and grisly is where human stories want to be. I know we threw a lot of terminology um, out here and, and got a, a, you know, a little excited about applying all of this to the current show that we're watching um, but before we hop off, is there anything that we missed? Is there anything else that y'all would like to share with our listeners? I think one thing is that it is important to remember that these things are, are creative, but also that they're part of the same creative story. So where we get numbed by things, that happens over time along all of all of these platforms that we're watching and listening to. So even when we look really objectively at one TikTok or one show, it's like, what is this adding to this like total narrative that we live under? Because we we do live in a in a police state. And so what does that look like over time? Like, what is this whittling down or adding to? It can seem like one tiny break, but um it's in this ginormous wall, you know? It's it's all the same artist, I guess. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. How are these working in conjunction with each other? I think outside of that, I don't know if I missed anything else. What about you, Graham? I think you covered things very thoroughly. I'm thinking off of what you just said and something you mentioned earlier was like, it can be disheartening. Like it, it seems like this massive inf infrastructure created to distort our thinking to their message, to their narrative. The thing I'm taking off of what you just said is don't get disheartened, don't get discouraged and walk into like questioning the narrative that's being told to you and the whys continually. listening to abolitionist for everybody be sure to follow us at abolitionist underscore on instagram twitter and facebook for regular updates if you want to continue to support this podcast and our work overall you can donate to support initiate justice at initiatejustice.org slash donate